Climate Change and the Courts, the Most Powerful Dissent. This is Climate Monitor for January 19, 2020. On January 17, 2020, the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit issued a long-anticipated decision in the case known as Juliana et al. versus United States et al. The case was filed in the U.S. District Court for the District of Oregon in 2015. One would be very hard-pressed to find any other case that has been fought so bitterly by the federal government. The history of this litigation is historic itself and shows the ferocity of the government against the steadfast, common-sense, legally justified, and scientifically honest attempts by the plaintiffs to save their future and yours. In the new appellate decision decided two to one, the court ordered the dismissal of the litigation. The case was originally brought by 21 young people who now range from ages 12 to 23. They are supported by Our Children's Trust and Earth Guardians. The youth claim global warming violates their, quote, fundamental constitutional rights to freedom from deprivation of life, liberty, and property, end quote. They have alleged the U.S. government was aware for decades that fossil fuel use is damaging the planet but it has not done enough to stop dependency on a fossil fuel energy system. You may have seen a report about the case on 60 Minutes, which was aired on June 23, 2019, and can be found at cbsnews.com. The U.S. District Judge at the trial court level, Anne Aiken, found before this latest appellate decision, quote, exercising my reasoned judgment, I have no doubt that the right to a climate system capable of sustaining human life is fundamental to a free and ordered society. Since that statement was made at the trial level, the appellate process has been very busy, and there has been extensive media coverage of this January 17, 2020 appellate-level decision. In this podcast, however, I would like to amplify the voice of Judge Josephine L. Statton, whose words, as written in her dissenting opinion, must be taken to the highest level of consciousness and with a degree of most extreme urgency. This episode is devoted to the words of her dissent, since in the 41 years I have been a practicing trial lawyer, I have never read a judicial opinion as direct, as brutally honest, as powerful, and as worrisome for the future of society and for our planet. Here are some of the many important points made by Judge Statton in the 32-page opinion. Disagreeing with the two other appellate judges that climate change is not an issue for the courts, the dissent reads in part as follows. On page 32, the dissent begins. Judge Statton says, quote, In these proceedings, the government accepts as fact that the United States has reached a tipping point crying out for a concerted response, yet presses ahead towards calamity. It is as if an asteroid were barreling towards Earth and the government decided to shut down our only defenses. Seeking to quash this suit, the government bluntly insists that it has the absolute and unreviewable power to destroy the nation." End quote. 
On page 33 of the opinion, Judge Staten continues, quote, Plaintiffs bring this suit to enforce the most basic structural principle embedded in our system of ordered liberty, that the Constitution does not condone the nation's willful destruction. So viewed, plaintiffs' claims adhere to a judicially administratable standard. And considering plaintiffs seek no less than to forestall the nation's demise, even a partial and temporary reprieve would constitute meaningful redress. Such relief, much like the desegregation orders and statewide prison injunctions the Supreme Court has sanctioned, would vindicate plaintiffs' constitutional rights without exceeding the judiciary's province. The dissent continues, quote, As the majority recognizes and the government does not contest, carbon dioxide, CO2, and other greenhouse gas emissions created by burning fossil fuels are devastating the planet. According to one of plaintiff's experts, the inevitable result, absent immediate action, is an inhospitable future, marked by rising seas, coastal city functionality loss, mass migrations, resource wars, food shortages, heat waves, megastorms, soil depletion and desiccation, freshwater shortage, public health system collapse, and the extinction of increasing numbers of species. Continuing, the judge writes, quote, Even government scientists project that, given current warming trends, sea levels will rise 2 feet by 2050, nearly 4 feet by 2070, over 8 feet by 2100, 18 feet by 2150, and over 31 feet by 2200. To put that in perspective, a three-foot sea level rise will make two million American homes uninhabitable. A rise of approximately 20 feet will result in the total loss of Miami, New Orleans, and other coastal cities. So, as described by plaintiffs' experts, the injuries experienced by plaintiffs are the first small wave in an oncoming tsunami, now visible on the horizons of the not-so-distant future that will destroy the United States as we currently know it. The dissent continues, quote, What sets this harm apart from all others is not just its magnitude, but its irreversibility. The devastation might look and feel somewhat different if future generations could simply pick up the pieces and restore the nation. But plaintiff's experts speak of a certain level of global warming as locking in this catastrophic damage. Put more starkly by plaintiff's expert, Dr. Harold R. Wanless, quote, atmospheric warming will continue for some 30 years after we stop putting more greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. But that warmed atmosphere will continue warming the ocean for centuries, and the accumulating heat in the oceans will persist for millennia, end quote. The dissent continues, quote, indeed, another of plaintiff's experts echoes the fact that greenhouse gases dissipate very slowly from the atmosphere and that the costs of taking CO2 out of the atmosphere through non-biological carbon capture and storage are very high means that the consequences of greenhouse gas emissions should be viewed as effectively irreversible. In other words, given the self-reinforcing nature of climate change, the tipping point may well have arrived and we may be rapidly approaching the point of no return, end quote. Further reading on page 35 of the opinion, 
Quote, despite countless studies over the last half century warning of the catastrophic consequences of anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions, many of which the government conducted, the government not only failed to act, but also affirmatively promoted fossil fuel use in a host of ways. According to plaintiff's evidence, our nation is crumbling at our government's own hand into a wasteland. In short, the government has directly facilitated an existential crisis to the country's perpetuity, end quote. Page 43, quote, Indeed, in this sui generis circumstance, waiting is not an option. Those alive today are at perhaps the singular point in history where society, one, is scientifically aware of the impending climate crisis, and two, can avoid the point of no return. And while democracy affords citizens the right to debate so they can learn and decide and then, through the political process, act in concert to try to shape the course of their own times, that process cannot override the laws of nature. Or, more colloquially, we can't shut the stable door after the horse has bolted. End quote. Also on page 43, the judge states, quote, As the last 50 years have made clear, telling plaintiffs that they must vindicate their right to a habitable United States through the political branches will rightfully be perceived as telling them they have no recourse. The political branches must often realize constitutional principles, but in a justiciable case or controversy, courts serve as the ultimate backstop. Page 45, quote, As described above, the right at issue is not to be entirely free from any climate change. Rather, plaintiffs have a constitutional right to be free from irreversible and catastrophic climate change. Plaintiffs have begun to feel certain concrete manifestations of this violation, ripening their case for litigation. But such prefectory harms are just the first barbs of an ongoing injury flowing from an ongoing violation of plaintiffs' rights. The bulk of the injury is yet to come. Therefore, practical redressability is not measured by our ability to stop climate change in its tracks and immediately undo the injuries that plaintiffs suffer today, an admittedly tall order, it is instead measured by our ability to curb some meaningful degree, by some meaningful degree, what the record shows to be an otherwise inevitable march to the point of no return. Hence, the injury at issue is not climate change writ large, it is climate change beyond the threshold point of no return. As we approach that threshold, the significance of every emissions reduction is magnified. The majority portrays any relief we can offer as just a drop in the bucket. In a previous generation, perhaps that characterization would carry the day and we could hold ourselves impotent to address plaintiff's injuries. But we are perilously close to an overflowing bucket. These final drops matter a lot. Properly framed, a court order, even one that merely postpones a day when remedial measures become insufficiently effective, would likely have a real impact on preventing the impending cataclysm. Accordingly, I conclude that the court could do something to help the plaintiffs before us. End quote. 
page 49, quote, The majority laments that it cannot step into the shoes of the political branches, but appears ready to yield even if those branches walk the nation over a cliff. This deference to a fault promotes separation of powers to the detriment of our countervailing constitutional mandate to intervene where the political branches run afoul of our foundational principles, end quote. Page 51, quote, Without explicitly laying this groundwork, the majority nonetheless suggests that this case is special and beyond our redress because plaintiff's requested relief requires, one, the messy business of evaluating competing policy considerations to steer the government away from fossil fuels, and two, the intimidating task of supervising implementation over many years, if not decades. I admit these are daunting tasks but we are constitutionally empowered to undertake them. There is no justiciability exception for cases of great complexity and magnitude, end quote. Page 54, quote, My colleagues conclude that climate change is too political for the judiciary to touch by likening it to the process of political representatives drawing political maps to elect other political representatives. I vehemently disagree. On page 64, Judge Staten concludes her dissent by stating, quote, Were we addressing a matter of social injustice, one might sincerely lament any delay, but take solace that the, quote, arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice, end quote. The denial of an individual constitutional right, though grievous and harmful, can be corrected in the future, even if it takes 91 years and that possibility provides hope for future generations. Where is the hope in today's decision? Plaintiff's claims are based on science, specifically an impending point of no return. If plaintiff's fears, backed by the government's own studies, prove true, history will not judge us kindly. When the seas envelop our coastal cities, fires and droughts haunt our interiors, and storms ravage everything between, those remaining will ask, why did so many do so little? End quote. A link to the Juliana versus United States opinion, including the dissent, is on our show notes page. There you can also find a link to the Children's Trust website. You can learn more about this historic case at ourchildrenstrust.org. If you like this podcast, please tell your friends and neighbors about it. I'm Mitch Chester. Thanks for joining us.